Hey, well, welcome, and it's great to be here. Can I ask a question? Can you hear me without this? No, you need this? Okay, perfect. Uh, well, I, is it okay if I move out a little bit in front of this? I feel like I'm closer to you. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. So great to be with you. And uh, I will tell you a little uh, very brief story that in 1983, before most of you were born, I was uh, leading a, um, a ministry called Young Life at Pacific Lutheran University and college students. And there was a young man, a freshman in college named Phil, who happens to be Michael's dad. And uh, so, th yeah. So just as, so for me, it's a delight, you know, to have heard from a number of people, you need to meet Michael, you need to meet Michael. Both of us have a passion for people your age and what God's doing in your life. And so Michael and I connected uh, probably about six or eight months ago and have just hit it off. And so I'm just, just listening to his vision sharing. You'll have a good leader. You really do. And I hope you know that. And there's a lot of folks around the world that are young adults that feel like they don't have a good leader. So wonderful privilege to be here. Yeah, I've got three children and one wife. I live in Tacoma, um, Fircrest, and I've lived here most of my life. And I'm involved, as Michael said, with a ministry called Kingdom Story. And we won't go into it tonight, but I, I was captured in my, about when I was a little bit older than you, by the idea that the Bible at its heart is a story. Uh, and how that has absolutely changed my view of God, my view of uh, the Bible. And so tonight, what I would uh, like to do is a bit of an experiment with you, something that is old hat for me. Some of these, uh, this approach are, are, are things I've done for many years, but also some brand new things. And Michael said, you all are a group that's willing to do something a little different. Is that right? You all willing to flex and have it, you know, that's, what, that's what's great about young adults, right? I mean, you're just, you know, you want to broaden your wings and your experience. So I'm going to... Um, I use the, the handout here, some of the notes, just to very quickly move us along. But everybody have one of these? Okay. So you have been doing a, an overview so far, some of the big, most important stories to get you started in understanding the big story of the Bible. So if you turn to the second page, you'll see something that looks like a cardiogram, you know, like somebody just had a heart... Uh, heartbeat uh, output or something. You see it's the ups and downs of the kingdom story. And this is a map that I use with our students to kind of think about the Bible from beginning to end as one grand story. We're going to start at the left and just take about 90 seconds here to remember where you have been so far. Uh, you remember you started at the Garden of Eden, which was a great high point where everything was as God intended. But then the next story you talked about was the fall, right? Where Adam and Eve decided they really didn't need God to be the Lord of their life, the king of their life, and they could trust their own feelings and instincts and perspectives. And so they took life into their own hands and things just slid down, slid down as, as they hid in shame and Cain killed Abel and uh, Noah and the ark. I mean, things got really, really bad. And at that low point, right, uh, God spoke 
to someone named Abraham, and you talked about that story, that God gave a promise to Abraham. He didn't give up on you at that low point. He called Abraham with a vision to change the world. He was going to bless his family to be a blessing to the nations. And so that family grew and grew, and Jacob to the place that had 12 sons, and then there was a famine. It started heading back down again when the famine, uh, they sent them to the land of Egypt, and then Joseph was sent by his brothers. He ended up in slavery, and, the, and all the people cried out as they had multiplied and found themselves in slavery in the land of Egypt. Oh, God, where are you? And it's in that low, desperate place that God raised up someone named Moses, right? And you heard the story several weeks ago about how God used Moses to deliver his people with the plagues, right, into the Red Sea. And then he called them uh, as they walked down the aisle of the wilderness to the wedding altar of Mount Sinai. And there God made wedding vows with his people. And that's the story from Exodus 19 and 20. Remember that? That's a high point. Your wedding day is always the high point of your story. Um, and, but after that, though, uh, they built a uh, golden what? Golden calf. Remember? An idol. So on the very night of their honeymoon, they commit adultery. And things slide down from there. And then God, though, doesn't give up. And remember, he calls 12 spies. You remember that story? Was that just last week? Was that last week's story? No, Joshua's last week. So he called 12 spies to go into the land. They came back. They brought the fruit. Ten said, we can't do it. The giants are big. Two of them said, no, we can't. What were their names? Joshua and Caleb. And, uh, and so the people that headed on the side of the ten... The people uh, were sent into the wilderness for 40 years uh, in discipline and training to be ready to go into the promised land after those 40 years. Um, they were ready to go in. And who did God raise up to take them into the promised land? Joshua, right? And that's the story that you said that he commissioned Joshua, prepared Joshua, and Joshua did the battle of Jericho, right? You saw how God took that little funny army and through their walking brought down the walls. And so tonight, that, part of the reason I share that is that there, that is just the beginning of a long story of the ups and downs, how when we were faithless, God was faithful. Tonight, we're going to talk about the book of Judges. And, and, and after the people entered the promised land, after Joshua fought all of those battles and God won them for them and they took into the land, finally the promise was fulfilled. The problem was they left some of the Canaanites in the land. And if you're in the medical field, if somebody has cancer, and you don't get all of the cells, what happens? It can grow back, right? That's what happened. They left idols in the land that were potent for evil, and it began to be a threat to the survival of the people. And that's where our story picks up, where it should have been an amazing honeymoon arriving in the promised land. Something goes bad. So keep this, if you want, in your Bible, this story, because it gives you a map for the entire story of the Bible. If you go back with me to the first page, I'm going to go through this relatively quickly. Um, we just did the review, and the purpose, you know, of this time is we're going to try to understand why and how the initial history um, of Joshua and the people was spoiled by involvement in idolatry. What went wrong, the cancer cells, is what we call idolatry. What is idolatry? What would you say is idolatry? Yeah, worship of idols, okay. So then you say, what's an idol? But then it becomes, well, what's an idol? 
Anything that you put before God, anything that you make as important as God, you treat it like a God and make it more important than the real God. So it's not just statues or Baal, but it could be, that's what we're going to talk about in just a minute, a lot of things. And that's what happened. And so one of the, um, so the hope is we'll see that as part of the story, what went wrong. And then number two is to better appreciate our common human vulnerability to idols um, and the matching mercy of God towards those of us who worship them. How many of us here think that we have idols in America? <laughs> How many of us here struggle against the temptation to, to an, an idol in our life, if we're honest, right? So what I'd like us to do is to, is to turn to a couple of people. This is going to be a flash question, okay? So groups of three-ish, uh, you know, it might be that you have four or two, but, uh, but this is, I'm going to give you just a few minutes to, we're going to look at this question together. The first one, consider the things your generation and peers devote themselves, their time, their attention, their passion, and their money uh, to other things than God himself. In other words, what do they worship? All right, and let's pick a couple of these as a group. Let me, what do you think are the, when you think about young adults today, what are the two, some of the most um, powerful temptations to be an idol in your life? Money. money. Okay, yeah, having more money, having a better job. Okay, what else? Good. Social media, being on your phone. Expecting this, yeah, yes. Video games. Video games, good, yeah, that's huge for a lot. So let's, so what I'd like you to do is let's, let's combine together kind of the whole technology, social media, video games, if we can, and then maybe money, and let's just think about that. Here's the questions I'd like you to ask in your group, is I'd like your group to pick one of those. Hey, either take money or, so, or, or technology, okay? Because just for time, just take one. And then in your group, answer the second two questions. Beyond immediate gratification, what invisible benefits, you know, um, do you or other people expect to receive from that idol? So what is the benefit that people expect to get when they play video games or on their phone or have more money? What's the benefit? Number two question, can people become addicted to these idols? And if they can, explain that. Groups of three. What's the first thing you're going to do? Pick one of two idols. What are they again? Money and technology. And then you answer those two questions together, okay? I'm going to give you three to five minutes to do that, and then we'll come back together, okay? Go ahead. Yes, sir. Relationships. Okay, if you really feel like that's the one that you want to land on, like particularly relationships with the same gender or romantic relationships, friendships, they can become idols. All right, does everybody understand? Groups of three turned. You can uh, make sure you can see each other. You can move your chairs, or if you can, I don't know if you can move the chairs. But um, okay, if you have a group of five, you won't have enough time to all share. So you have four back there. Maybe one person can come here if you want. It's up to you. Okay, folks, let's kind of wrap, whoever's talking, kind of wrap, finish, and wrap up, and then we'll come back together here. Did you all, as you're finishing here, how many groups felt like you could become addicted to, uh, to money, to the pursuit of money? <laughs> 
Uh, can we be addicted to video games, camera? <laughs> oh, how about, how about social media? Yeah, I mean, so uh, one of the ways that you know something is an idol is that you can become addicted to it. You, exactly, anything, right. So, addict, so look for places of addiction. You'll probably find an idol behind that. Okay, so what we're going to do is I am going to, if you turn back to, your, uh, to this uh, handout here, I'm going to uh, turn to the second page. Let me just say something very briefly about the book of Judges. The book of, how many of you have heard of Gideon? Or, or Samson, remember the guy that got his eyes gouged and he pulled, yeah. Uh, how many people have heard of um, Deborah? Okay, this is a sharp group. Okay, it's, a, it's almost, the, the book of Judges is about a whole bunch of people that God raised up to deliver his people when they were caught in what we call a cycle of sin. And the book of Judges in chapter 2, it gives a summary of what happened over and over. How many of you have ever been in a car that was driving in the snow and you got caught in a rut? Or mud. Everybody done that? And, and when you push the gas pedal, do you go forward? You just keep going over and over and deeper and deeper. The book of Judges is about a cycle like that. That just gets deeper and deeper. Maybe you can see some things in our culture where it feels like we're caught in a cycle that's just getting deeper and deeper. And we're going nowhere. This is the cycle of sin in the book of Judges. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the story a little bit of Judges 2 just from this diagram without reading it. And in a minute, we're going to tell it again. To start with me at the top. The, the cycle of sin in the book of Judges starts at first with Joshua, later with other judges, where the leader is alive and they are leading the people to stay faithful to God and the people are responding, yes, we want to worship God and make him number one in our life. And then what happens is, um, um, when they say no to idols, when the leader dies, they begin to say, uh, who was that God again? What was Joshua's last name again? What did God do for us at Jericho? Not sure I can really remember. They forget their first love with the loss of their leader. And then what happens is they fully abandon God in number three stage. This is what they did. They abandoned the God of Joshua, the God who delivered them into the land, and they went after the other idols in the land. And particularly there was the, uh, a God named Baal, Baal, depending on your pronunciation. And he was the one that was supposedly in charge of the economy, all right, of how things grow, water that comes and makes land fertile. And so he... Uh, there were practices that were very attractive that were involved with sexuality and uh, people, people could not almost not worship. It was so powerful. And so they get addicted to Baal worship. Number four, this provokes God to anger. Is it okay that God gets angry? If you told me, Elias, hey, did you know that your wife on the side while you're here tonight is having sex with your neighbor? And I said, no problem. That doesn't make me angry. You'd probably send me to marriage counseling. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? There is a rightful place of anger when someone has been unfaithful to your bride, to your spouse. And that's where God gets righteously angry. 
but not to show violence. What he does is he, number five, God out of his love and anger sends a nation that fights against Israel and defeats her. And she cries out, uncle, under the oppression, the arrows, the javelins, the chariots of the Canaanites. And when she cries out for help, number six, God hears because he hasn't abandoned her. And what he does is, he number seven, he raises up a judge, a military leader, a brave heart type of a person. Someone that steps in against all odds, takes the little army of Israel, and they fight against the enemies, and they defeat them because, like with Joshua, with God's power. And as long as the judge is alive, the people say, you helped rescue us, God was faithful. But when the judge dies, Gideon, Deborah, etc., etc., when they die, guess what happens? We got the tire in the snow. We've got the cycle that starts all over again for 400 years in the book of Judges. So that at the end of the book of Judges, it says, it's hopeless. People are just doing whatever they want, worshiping whatever gods they want. We're going nowhere. And that helps explain the rest of the story. So that's my version of retelling the story. What we're going to do now, I'm going to ask for three volunteers. And uh, we're going to actually read this passage. Could I, a couple people that like to read up front. Or, uh, who's a good reader? Okay, Rachel, Elias, you want to be? You, how about you three? Can you three be my readers? Okay, bring up your packet. And um, here's what we're going to do, though. Um, we are going to divide into two different uh, characters, okay? Now, this is what's kind of new about the, what we're going to do is, is they are going to read, there's a paragraph if you want to look at, you can read paragraph one, paragraph two, and paragraph three of the story. See that? That's paragraph one, that's paragraph two, and that's paragraph three of Judges, okay? So you guys can get... While they're reading, I'm going to ask if, you know, you don't have to look at your sheet. I actually want you to use your imagination, close your eyes, and I'm going to ask a couple of uh, this group right here, I'm going to ask you to be uh, the God character. I know this is a little bit stretched, but like a man, what would you, if, if you're God and you've rescued these people through Joshua, you've brought them into the promised land, and now look what the people are doing towards you. What would you, if you notice on the front sheet, what would you be feeling? Notice what God is doing, action. I call this the fats. What's God feeling, do you think? What's God doing in this story, action? T, what is God, what do you think God's thinking as you hear this story? Put yourself in, what is he thinking as Israel does what they do, as he does what he does? And then lastly, notice what God says. Or what, if, does God say anything in this story? You all here, and this back table, and a couple of, you, know, you all can be the God group too. This side of the room, you are going to be the people of Israel. You're the people that God has rescued, brought into the promised land, but you are living at a time when Joshua is dead. You're the people that is struggling with idol worship over and over again. You're caught in this cycle. As they read the story, you might just notice, what are you finding yourself feeling Thinking, when God rescues you, what does that feel like? When God is angry at you, uh, how, what, what, do you what might you be thinking? So I'm inviting you to step into the shoes of the character. God and the people of Israel as they read the story. Are you with me?
When we're done, we're going to break up into groups and share a little bit about your perception, okay? Go ahead and read the story. Nice and loud. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after gods. Uh, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways, stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they take care to walk in the way of the Lord, as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Thank you, readers. Well done. Really appreciate that. Well done. So I'd like you to stay in your same groups for this next question. Um, if you turn back to the front, and it basically um, on number seven, it just says, hey, we read it again, and I asked you to just listen for feelings, for what the, your character acting, what they did, what they might have been thinking and saying. Sometimes it's just outright obvious. God was angry, right? That's a, that's a no-brainer. That's an easy two-point question. But there are other emotions of God in this passage, aren't there? Did you hear them? 
could you know that's what I want you to explore um, in your groups is uh, if you're here of God for you it's the people of Israel as and again if you're forgetting the passage you can go back to this diagram in the different stages of the cycle what might your character have been thinking and feeling and doing right and just lean in to the reality of your character had that character become more real to you okay is that pretty clear what is your character acting, thinking, doing, and feeling in this story in the different, some of the different stages? What comes to your mind? Okay, so break out into your groups. See how far you can get on, on the fats, I call them, with your character. All right? Go ahead. Okay, everybody. Actually, let's, uh, let's pull together here. We're going to do a little bit of back and forth. This group over here, you are exploring some of the thoughts and feelings uh, um, and actions of God in this story, and, and this group did Israel and the people. By the way, is it weird trying to put yourself in the shoes of God? I was just gonna. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. I owe you fifty cents or so. And we do it all the time, right? I mean, we act like God. That's the sinful nature. But there's also like I'm a dad of three children. And when I had little children, I learned more about what God thinks and feels than when before I was a dad, right? So we are made in the image of God. And so actually, I think it pleases him that we try to put ourselves in his shoes. But at the first time, it's a little awkward. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging that. And if you felt that, this, this was a new exercise. And I know it may not be easy at first, but I've been doing this for a lot of years. And it's amazing. Um, how what happens when we begin to step out of our own story and into the story of others and these characters become more alive and more relevant. So kudos for you to have the card. What did you notice about God's feeling and thinking and doing in this story that stood out to you? And you listen because you were talking about Israel. A couple, a couple of you. What stood out? Yes. 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 Yeah, so that whole idea of Judas' betrayal, we think, and then, no, there's betrayal right here by a whole people against their God. God knew about betrayal. And what do you feel like when you're betrayed? What, what, what does that also maybe lead to in terms of your thing? What might God have been thinking and feeling beyond in light of the betrayal? Did anybody explore that? Sad? Yeah, that kind of explains his anger then too, doesn't it? Yeah. Bet hurt. Yeah. D for... A longing for, yeah. I mean, if you fit this in the context of a marriage, I talked about Mount Sinai being a marriage. And what was the language here for sin? You're whoring after other gods. You're committing adultery. What does it feel like? And for this happens all the time in America. You know, when a spouse commits adultery, it's absolutely brokenhearted. You deeply want the love of your spouse, but you've been betrayed and you're angry and hurt. This is the heart of God. Over and over again in Judges. Anything else? What else? One more thing. Frustrated. Say more about that. Okay. <laughs> 
oh, tiring and frustrating. And then if you add to that that this is happening over and over again, it's not just once, it's seven times seven. It's, it's happening generation after generation. It's got to be frustrating. Yes. Yes. You might be feeling frustrated and disappointed, Excellent. That's part of the cycle, isn't it? That all of that doesn't lead him to abandon them, but rather to have compassion, to see and to love them. Oh, how he loves us. Over and over, he sends a deliverer. Thank you so much. That's such an important part of this, that God's anger mingles with his frustration. Yeah, and love. How about the people of Israel? What did you notice? You know, you're in that, you're caught in that cycle, and there's so many different stages where you could have felt or thought different things. What stood out to you about the people? Yes, in the back. I think it was stubborn and just blinded by what they Yeah, that's real. And you think about what was your name? Emma, when you think about Emma, how someone gets caught in adultery, they forget their commitment to their spouse, and in the present moment, somebody tempts them. I and mean, that's essentially what was happening to them. What's right? How many people feel like in our culture, we can be tempted by what's right in front of us instead of the long-run consequences? Oh, my gosh. Advertising. Yeah, I mean, they, so that's very good insight. They were just could not get past what was right in front of them. What else? What else stood to you? Yes, Cameron. Um, well, I think like I can maybe not sort of impressed about the Israelites. Well, they um they became blind to the point of not knowing that or maybe oblivious to not knowing that God exists when he yeah. Interesting. So they almost became, even though God had done such amazing things for them, they became blind. They forgot. They, they couldn't see. Yeah. Interesting. Well, <laughs> they, and so when the people got detached from the great works of God, they forgot. They couldn't see in their everyday life maybe as easily. Boy, that's, that's real, isn't it? Sometimes does it feel like you can't see God active and obvious in your everyday life? Let's be honest. Do you have seasons like that? Where are you, Lord? This happened here. This happened here. It's not obvious. Am I the only one? Yeah. This is real, huh? In the midst of that, how can we stay you know, remembering our covenant? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things about the story is it keeps going, right? The thing, there are threads that keep running through the story. Okay, yes, sir. Last one, then we're going to go forward. Absolutely. That's, what do you think? Somebody else? Yeah, if, if for God to know that this, he already knows that the tire is like this. It's going to keep going. And yet he continues, what's God thinking in the context? 
He's choosing to love. He's probably not focusing on their faults, but on his memory of who they are and his choice to love. That's very possible, yeah. Yeah. The choice, I'm going to choose to extend my mercy no matter what they do. This is the God of the Old Testament, by the way. We're not even into Jesus yet. This is the Father's heart to love and extend mercy despite our continual decision to turn away and abandon him. So, so let's turn to the second page at the bottom. It says small group, large group. You can see why I usually love to take two hours for every story, but when I can't do that. But let me just suggest that every good story has a crisis. Every good story has a villain. You know, Star Wars, it's Dark Vader. You, know, you could name him Harry Potter. Who is it in Harry Potter? Who's the villain? Okay. Every good story has a crisis, a problem that's going on, a villain. In our story, who is the villain always in the Bible story? Is it the Israelites? <laughs> is it, or is it who? Satan, right? So in our day today, who is the enemy? Is it the Democrats or the Republicans? No. It's Satan, right? Sometimes, but you go on Facebook, you can think of that's the enemy, right? The enemy is always Satan. And so here's the question. How do you see the potential of evil and deception and temptation working in this story? How do you see the devil potentially working in this story, in this cycle? Where do you see him working? Baal worship. Baal worship. Come and worship, you know, the, the invitation to draw them in. Yes, where else? Good. I would say, like, with that, he, they, he invites them to trade God's promise for right now. Yeah, right. So switching what's valuable, switching what's in front of them. Yeah, putting in front of them, look at look, look what's here right now. Yes. And that's what marketing does that today. The, you know, all kinds of things. Put messages in front of you that says, watch this now, buy this now. It's never been easier. Interesting. Yes. Can you all hear what she's saying? Yeah, the God, right. So if God, one of the most important commands is to remember, then Satan would probably be about forgetting, right? So how does Satan help make us forget? Would be the next natural question to what you're saying, Rachel. Yes. Huh? Distractions. Any distractions in American life? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, right? It's not a true question. Yeah. So it's always helpful to know that in every story of the Bible, the Satan is at work, consciously or unconsciously, quietly or blatantly, and it was true in this story. Number two question. What did the Israelites and the judges reveal to you? What became clear about your life, for example, or life in America, just sitting in your character today? Or when you think about uh, the people, let me ask that question about Israel. What became clear to you about the nature of human people as you explored those questions? We're way more valuable. Uh, 
Yeah, go, go ahead. I know you're in the God group. Yeah, we're way more valuable. That, that's good. See, you were listening to that group. Yeah. So people are more valuable than they think they, than they might think they are. They're also, so this tension, right? We're more fallible, we're vulnerable, we're hypocrite, I mean, we, you know, we betray, and yet we are still more valuable than we would give ourselves credit for. What? Whoa. Yeah, the story has lots of tension here, right? You're the bride and the adulterer all at the same time. What about, let's, this next question. This is always the most important question in any Bible Bible passage, any story, who's always the hero of the story? That's right. It's a Sunday school answer, right? The answer is always Jesus. But it's not Deborah. It's not Gideon. It's not Samson. It's always God, whether it's Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. So this is the God group. <clears throat> Tell me from what your discussions were tonight, what would you summarize as the character of God in this story? If you were to say God in this cycle of sin... I see God as dot, 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 forgiver, patient, faithful, unwavering, understanding. Yeah. What do you mean by, yeah, underst how was God understanding in this story, Cameron? That, have you thought about the fact that God of the Old Testament, not just Jesus, actually walked among and knew how people, like he was the father, he knew what they were, he had compassion, he had empathy for their vulnerability, for their imperfection. He didn't say, oh crap, you're a bunch of losers. As a good father, he empathized in their weakness, right? And then reached out to them in love. Um, God is amazing in this story. And this is the Old Testament. The next question, what I'd like to do for the last couple of questions, I'm going to read them and then we're going to break into groups. E, F, and G, uh, I'm going to uh, relate. Which character could you relate to most in this story? Is there some way that you could relate to people of Israel and their vulnerability to idols? Some of you were nodding. Yeah, how, how can you relate to the people of Israel in this cycle? Where do you find yourself at times in that cycle of vulnerability, of saying, no, God, I'll never forget you, and then you forget it, get distracted? You know, where do you find, the second question is, um, that related to that is, you know, how in some ways can you find yourself relating to the character of God? Has God put somebody in your life and called you to love them persistently, even when they're obnoxious, <laughs> faithless, if they've betrayed you, a friend or a parent? How has God, how do you connect with the, the love and the character of God in this story? So maybe pick one of those. F uh, and G would just be to, um, oh no, excuse me, then F is what's one relevant lesson or truth that stood out to you in this story? What stood out to you in this story? 
either about God or about the people of Israel or about idols. They just go, what, what God's saying to me right now is dot, dot, dot. Does that make sense? What's speaking to you from this story about your own journey, your own cycle of sin, your own journey of wanting to be faithful to God and not forget him in the midst of all the idols? And so questions E and F are the questions for your small groups. And so at this point, if I understand, Michael, uh, we started a little bit late tonight, so uh, we're going to go, I guess, a few minutes, but this is the time to break up into your normal small groups, and whoever is the facilitator, you're just going to try to get folks to answer E and F, or if you just have, you know, or E or F, whatever you feel like you have time for, capacity for, but those are the two questions I'd love for you to talk about in your small groups. And so what I'm going to do to break you up into groups, we're just going to have a moment of quiet. Is that okay? Because normally I end with that, but before we break into groups, let's just pause a moment and pray together. And Lord, this is the question uh, after all this discussion and hearing the scripture read is, Lord, what is it that you are saying to me about my journey with idolatry? About my struggle to feel like I'm in a cycle over and over again, struggling with the same thing? Lord, is there a place I'm tempted? Is there a place I've given in? Is it hard for me, Lord, to believe that I'm precious and valuable in the midst of what often feels like a failure? Lord, how are you speaking to me through this story? Lord, we thank you um, that you are faithful from beginning to end of this story, that as you ran and greeted the prodigal son when he came home and had spent everything and betrayed you, so it is in this story that you ran to meet Israel by sending a judge to rescue her over and over and lavish her with the renewal of your kisses and your embrace to start over again. So now may our times in our small group be blessed, be appropriately vulnerable, may be able to share our real stories and encounter you in a real way that makes a difference. In Jesus' name, everybody said.